My name is Anthony Capazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. No matter how bad it gets, just know that you can and will recover. It takes work. It takes hard work. Each week, we talk in detail about what it takes to make it, what it takes to beat your addictions. I am a recovering addict from alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine. My addiction started in eighth grade. I am now 50. I had over 40 years of very bad habits to break. I hit rock bottom hard. More than once, I nearly died. I would have left my wife and two young children behind. I've been clean and sober for nearly three years. I completely dismantled my entire life and rebuilt it from the ground up. I believe to make it in recovery, it takes a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual approach. It takes a positive mindset. It takes hard work. It takes a village. Join me weekly to learn from my sober superhero guests on the Dismantle Life podcast. Subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Check me out at dismantle.life. Email me at anthony at dismantle.life anytime. Please be sure to leave a rating and review anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And let me know if you want to be on the show. Happy recovery. Had an awesome episode with your son, Zach. I mean, it was really, really, really fucking good. I mean, yeah, I sucks. not only do I, I think he's cool as shit, but I learned a lot from him. It was really interesting to hear mm-hmm. his story. And he did say for me not to let you off the hook. He said I should dig deep for lots and lots of questions. So <laughs> <laughs> that was that was his he advice for I today. Sometimes gloss over things, but uh, you know, whatever. If I may say so, I think the dots connected thread of what I think um, is both nature and nurture where addiction Mm -hmm. is concerned. And I think it's interesting to have that familial, I'm not going to call it a trait, but that connection, um, because Uh I also grew up in um, in, an addict home, an alcoholic home. And Mm -hmm. listen, I made my own choices. I am not doing the boohoo bullshit, but I made my own choices. But at the end of the day, I mean, those are the examples that I lived with. And those are the the examples that I, that I, that I followed. Um, Again, my fault, my issue, my addiction. I always have to say that because I don't want people to think that I'm blaming anyone else for my issues. They were mine and mine alone. But I do think there's something to be said with if like, for example, if I swear, my kids will swear too. Um, right. As simple as that. So yeah. that's a very long introduction, Catherine. And I um, very excited to have you on the show and to hear your story and Thanks. you know where you are today. Well, and I do, I do want to throw on something. I I help out from time to time with Marley's Mutts, and mm. certainly I'm supportive of my son. But um, I do not work for them. Okay. I don't know if you made that clear to you. I work for. Uh, a mission. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, at least some mission. We, the mission at Kern County runs a homeless center for men and also recovery programs, residential recovery programs for men and women. And the reason I say that is because it's part of my story in that that's where I got sober. That's amazing. I went in Yeah, I went into a year-long recovery program at a mission. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty interesting story. And so when people ask me now, you know, 
you, you had a successful career in advertising and marketing. I worked for Disney. I worked for ABC television. I worked for CBS radio. Why in the hell are you working for a mission in Bakersfield, California? Well, because in part it saved my life. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I kind of wanted to make sure that you understand when I, if I talk about that, that, that it's yeah. not too confusing there. No, abs- absolutely. And uh, I appreciate the clarity and forgive my kind of uh, muddying the waters a little bit on that topic. Uh, oh, no, that's okay. So maybe we could start with where it started for you and then kind of walk your path. So maybe mm-hmm. kicking things off with uh, a little bit about your background and then lead into you know what your poison was. Mine was alcohol, mm-hmm. cocaine, and nicotine. Um, mm-hmm. At least it was. And uh We'll go from there. Sure. Well, I would I would probably start by saying that uh, unlike a lot of us, I had a great childhood. I, I didn't have anything that really happened in my childhood, as so many people that I've met along the way have had. I had loving parents. Um, my mom didn't even really drink. My Biological father died when I was two years old, but the guy that raised me, he, he liked to drink, but I, I wouldn't say that he was an no, alcoholic. My grandmother was an alcoholic, but I, I would say that um, I was someone that, unlike most alcoholics, I didn't like alcohol. I didn't drink alcohol hmm. when everybody else was kind of uh, trying it out in their early teens. I, I never did. I didn't drink at all until I was 21 and got into the business of advertising, uh, which really wasn't a requirement until I got into sales, I would say. And we, uh, my husband and I, the Zach's, uh, Zach probably told you he's a twin, maybe, maybe not. Um, when, when we moved to California, I was fortunate to get on with Disney and then get on with ABC television. And it was eighties. And you mentioned uh, cocaine was part of your story. Um, ABC television in the eighties, it was, you know, big time party atmosphere (laughs) and, and, you know, unlimited expense accounts and you're in Hollywood and you're driving fancy cars and you're, you know, ordering Dom Perignon at the drop of a hat (laughs) hanging out at the palm and, uh, you know, it, I went from someone who didn't drink at all that said, well, I'll have a glass of wine. And, you know, before I knew it, I was polishing off a bottle of wine and not thinking too much about it. Yeah. And I would say that I, I managed my drinking uh, relatively well. I was a, a functioning alcoholic on and. On anyone else's terms, I was full-blown alcoholic, but in the world of advertising and marketing, yeah. I, I was, you know, I didn't do cocaine. I didn't smoke marijuana. You know, yeah. I was, you know, well, you good know, girl. People, and I hate to say this, but, you know, the stereotypes, some of them are around for a reason. So the movie, the show Mad Men, I mean, did, right. oh, yeah. know, although that was, New, that was New York, if I get it, if I remember right, wasn't it New York? Um, and right. they, but they, yeah, because it was Madison Avenue, but. Um, yeah, and those guys, like. It, it, it came from somewhere. So I, I can't imagine, I would imagine there was some uh, professional pressure. I would think that if you didn't oh. drink and hang out, you were kind oh, of on the outside of the promotion list and things. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, but, but probably because I also had, had the kids and, and they were small, I, I would say that I managed it, you know, relatively well. I did have 
a DUI in 91, but I figured that was an anomaly. You know, I figured, oh, well, you know, that was, I, I hadn't had much to eat and blah, 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 you know, excused, <laughs> of course. It, uh, excused it away. Yeah. Um, and then it really didn't become problematic, big, big time problematic. Uh, to, to me, I'm sure it was a problem to other people um, <laughs> that I would fall asleep or pass out or, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, right. Until Zach got sick. And when he got sick, I was in a relationship that was going south at the same time. And for someone who had pretty ha much had a charmed life, um, I suddenly was going through a horrific breakup in a relationship. I was told that my son had less than 90 days to live. And so my solution was to, to drink more and, and just, uh, you know, pretend that it wasn't happening. And uh, when I, boy, I, I did it upright too. I mean, I went from someone who had been, uh, you know, six-figure income earner for 20, 30 years to essentially homeless. Um, you know, when I, by the time I entered the recovery program at the mission, I had nothing. I had gone through hundreds of thousands of dollars in savings, wrecked cars, lost homes, lost jobs. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I had no resources left whatsoever. And, and by the time I went into the missions program, uh, Zach had three years on me. And even that wasn't enough to, to get me sober. I, it, it was one of those really sad cases of what is it going to take? Yeah. And, and for me, it took just, you know, coming to that absolute hopelessness that I even tried to commit suicide and, and didn't get it right. Uh, I failed at that. I, I was failing at everything miserably. Well, I'm glad and, you failed at that one. I, I have to say, if there's one yeah. good thing to fail at, it's that one. That's right, sure. right, right. But um, yeah, it was uh, for me when um, I'll, I'll back it up a little bit as I started to lose the jobs, wreck the cars, lose the homes. Um, I racked up three more DUI within a year. And it's only uh, it's a miracle because one, one DUI was in St. Louis and two were in California. The two in California were so close that the paperwork didn't catch up. Otherwise, I surely would have gone to jail and done yeah. time. Um, so the, the reason I'm in Bakersfield really is because that's where my last DUI was. I was uh, in Pasadena and had a great sale at a, you know, I, I was, as, as Zach would put it, um, I would put lipstick on the pig and I'd be able to go get another job. I'm pretty well-spoken. I'd been in sales all my life. I could, I could turn Definitely. it on, get a job and just turn around and, and screw it up in a uh, you know, matter of a couple of weeks usually. But this particular time I, I decided to celebrate a sale got drunk and thought, oh, this really isn't a good idea. I really need to get sober. I think I'll go visit Zach from Pasadena 
to Tehachapi, which is probably a three and a half hour drive. And uh, thankfully got pulled over before I killed someone uh, because I think I, I think my BAC was like a 0.275. I mean, it was it was pretty high. Yeah. When when I was arrested and, and subsequently released in Bakersfield, I my car was impounded. I had no money. It was four o'clock in the morning. Um, and so I, I someone said, let, let let me give you a ride home. I said, well, I don't have a home. Uh, you know, I was just kind of passing through. And I there wasn't going to call Zach at four o'clock in the morning and he wouldn't have come and gotten me anyway. So uh, someone suggested, well, we'll take you to the hospital. We'll, we'll drop you off at the hospital. So go to the hospital uh, and I'm sitting in the ER, bawling my eyes out. And the security guard suggested that I go to the Mary Kay Shell, which is the local um, mental health institute which was in the same parking lot and I just went there and I you know boohooed and explained you know what was going on that I'd tried to commit suicide and uh you know that basically my life had become unmanageable and so they took me in they called Zach and they said you know we're going to detox your mom and uh, they suggested this mission at Kern County it was called the Bakersfield Rescue Mission at the time and oddly enough, I had been, when you talked about taking after you, what your parents do, uh, my mom was an atheist. She became an atheist during the Vietnam War. And so we all thought it was great that we didn't have to go to church anymore. And so I kind of followed in those footsteps and, sure. and you know, that I was comfortable with, with being an atheist. So against all odds, this one year residential recovery program at a homeless center slash recovery program, Christian based. Um, and I said, yeah, I'll go. And Zach is like, mom, what are you crazy? Do you know what this is? These are, these are women that are, you know, recently released from prison for gang activity <laughs> and they're methamphetamine addicts and heroin addicts and you just can't put down the Chardonnay. And uh, I said, I know, but something tells me this is the right thing to do. Yeah, and besides that, right. I have no other options. Right. So, and I was, I was, I turned 60 about a couple of weeks after uh, being admitted to, to the residential recovery program. So I was about 40 years older than everybody else. And, and, uh, truly was there with gang members and not that everybody was, but, but certainly, uh, you know, prostitutes, gang members, people that you would typically expect to find at a rescue mission and, and, and not someone generally speaking <laughs> of my background, but um, I, I knew that I was in the right place and I, I welcomed the opportunity to take a year of not having to do anything, but come to terms with my alcoholism and the God of my understanding and what I was going to do for the rest of my life if I was given the opportunity to live. And it was the smartest thing I ever did in my life. And I had um, gone to 12-step meetings in the past. And as I like to tell people, those meetings are fabulous. I recommend them. My problem was 
up until that point, I expected everyone else to fix me. I, I wanted that 12-step program and the, the people there to fix me. I'd gone to church and, and wanted the church to fix me, but I hadn't made the commitment to do what I needed to do. And the, the mission being a Christian-based program, um, I, I was having a hard time, you know, wrapping my, my head around, you know, God and Jesus and, and, and all of that. But one day I opened up a devotional that said, well, God will do for me what I cannot do for myself. God will not do for me what I can do for myself. And that was like a two by four upside the head. I finally got it. That and my other son saying to me, when I was in the Mary Kay shell um, mental, what do they call it? B3, I think. Um, telling me that, hey, mom, you know, we're going to have kids one day and we'd like you to be around. And I thought, oh, maybe, you know, hmm, that would That's be a good, a good idea, idea to see yeah. your grandchildren. What a novel concept. Uh, because up until that point, I just, I, I didn't really feel like I had a reason for living. You know, my alcoholism had gotten so out of control and was controlling me that uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't see how it was ever going to end. Um, and, and so when we, when we come to that conclusion that it really is up to us and nobody else is going to do it for us, there are tools out there yeah. uh, that we can embrace and that we can utilize and, and certainly that we can uh, give to others as it was so graciously given us. But it, that was my aha moment. That was really my aha moment. Up until that time, I just didn't know how to dig myself out. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you say about you, you, this has to be for you and by you, uh, the, the main message. And, and I think that the other piece that resonates with me very well is putting your ego aside. And what I mean by that is putting your ego aside, when you went to the mission in Bakersfield and you were around women who you may not have socialized with per se. Um, right. So just to classify it um, from a conversational perspective, you'd mentioned gangbangers and prostitutes mm -hmm. and strippers and whatever else. Uh, and right. I think once you realize that, first of all, addiction doesn't give a shit, like right. treats everybody the same, if whether you're a billionaire, a six-figure ad exec somewhere, or a gangbang and it doesn't doesn't matter and the beauty of recovery is you you get through this together too you have to do for yourself but you find people that will support and love you anyway and i think that right. what you found and, and i'm not putting words in your mouth is people that, that that loved you anyway and i and i think that giving you that strength and the reason that you're still there speaks volumes of your character mm -hmm. i love that you're there because mm -hmm. you've embraced that and i think that that's the beauty of recovery where you could put all this other shit down get to the core of it Course correct. And I do believe, and I say this all the time, I don't, I, recovery is not usually a hard left or right turn. There are instances that require hard and left, right turns, but I normally think it's like a couple of degrees shift where it's perception, appreciation without expectation, get, dropping your ego and little adjustments along the way. Those little micro adjustments make all the difference, I think. Oh, right. And uh, you bring up a, a good point. You know, when I when I hit my bottom, 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 you know, every time I thought I'd hit the bottom, I found there was a new bottom. Right, you can bounce uh, a little bit, right? <laughs> uh, right. 
I, uh, I was feeling sorry for myself. You know, I had lost my four bedroom, four bath house in St. Louis. I had wrecked my Lexus. I'd lost, you know, several jobs. And then I got to the mission. I met young ladies who had been sold into prostitution uh, at age 11 by their mothers for their heroin addictions. And I thought, holy crap. Yeah, you that's know, real you got shit. a lot of damn nerve feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah, that, that's some real and, shit. That, that's yeah, crazy. And, and so that that helped me to to understand that I needed to feel quit feeling sorry for myself and to do something about it. And as low as I was feeling at the time, I, I found that a lot of the women looked up to me and, and no one had looked up to me in a long time. <laughs> because I was such a fuck up. Uh, but these women did because, you know, they would come to me and say, you know, will you help me read this book? Will you, will you tell me what this word means? Oh, Miss Cat, you know, they called me Miss Cat. And I was, you know, I was really their contemporary at this point. Yeah. Um, but I, I had something to give them. And, and part of it was because I was older, but part of it was, is, you know, I may have been a little bit better educated. I may have, you know, had a few more lessons in etiquette than they had. Um, and, and they embraced me for the most part. There were, there were some that said, you know, what the hell are you doing here? As a matter of fact, um, about a, this is a funny story, about a week after I got there, one of our church ladies, as I liked to call them, um, <laughs> was asked going around the room and saying, you know, what was your, your drug of choice, dear? And, you know, methamphetamine and one was pills and one was heroin. And she got to me and, and I was being very honest. And I said, Chardonnay. And, the, you know, you can imagine these gals are like, you know, Chardonnay, what are you kidding me? And so that's what they called me. They wouldn't even call me by my name. That was my, that was my gang name for, you know, Latin. Chardonnay. Yeah, Chardonnay. <laughs> And so we had a lot of fun with that, um, you know, and, and there, there, there was a one woman in particular that just hated me and, and, you know, did everything in the world that, that she could to humiliate me and intimidate me. And yeah, I'm, I'm really, you know, I grew up in a, in a time in the business where, you know, I wasn't easily intimidated because I was in a man's world and it was a, a lot like Mad Men was a little bit before my time, but not, not much. Um, and so I had this, uh, I had this alter ego. And one day when she was picking on me, I said, you know what, Tim, I said, you know, I may look like an older, smaller, very white woman, but let me tell you something inside here is Tyrone. And if you fuck with me one more time, Tyrone's going to come out and you are going to be sorry. And she looked at me and it was kind of like, is this woman certifiably crazy or <laughs> I, I don't even know that. I want. So after that, she just kind of left me alone. But, but later when I ultimately became staff and, and one of my, uh, one of the ladies that I was in program with said to um, one of the women in program one time, she said, you know, if you don't behave, Miss Kat's going to call up Tyrone and you're going to, well, well, then the legend of Tyrone, right. nine years later, Tyrone still, you know, is, is got to embrace Tyrone. I think everybody should have uh, yeah, an inner Tyrone. Works. I mean, quite frankly, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, <laughs> Catherine, I mean, we've all been through shit in our own way. And the, but the through line is consistent. The narratives are the same. I mean, whether they're doing, whether, as an addict doing meth or mm -hmm. heroin or alcohol, whatever it is, we, and wherever you came from, if you came from Skid Row or you came from 
you know, Bel Air. At the end of the day, right. it doesn't fucking matter because we've right. all been through it. And the fact that you, we it'll all have, kill you. it'll kill you just the same. Absolutely. Right. And, and I always say that I do believe those in recovery are superheroes. We are all superheroes because that's our superpower is recovery. And I think that we've been through a lot of shit and it's hard to, to make it and continue to make it and to fight the fight. And we all have bad days. I'm not going to speak for anyone else, but I still have times where I get an itch to pick up where I left off and I don't thankfully, but it's hard. I mean, but I know what it's like to live because oddly enough, tomorrow is my 50th birthday. Um, So I'll be 50 tomorrow and I'm excited as hell. First of all, that I'm here talking to you because I should have been dead three years ago uh, and I made it thankfully. And, and I'm a better person now. And and I, I always want to, I always take this time to apologize for those people that I knew from, you know, when I was born to about 47, cause I sucked. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but here I am. And, and I think that we all have that inner Tyrone to kind of circle back. And I, and I embracing that, you know, using it when you need it, because there are times when you have to stare shit down and fight right. the fight um, right. because right. addictions are bullies at the end of the day. And my a guest, Roland, had a really good quote. He said, you know, I'm inside watching TV and my addictions are outside doing push-ups. Oh, yeah, right, right. And, and, it, and so it's, it, it rings true because it gives you that, you, you, you can't ever, you, you, you have to pay attention to it because it'll come, it'll come back and haunt you. I mean, it's brilliant. Oh, well, and they don't call it baffling, powerful, and uh, for nothing, you know. Yeah. Cunning, baffling, and powerful. Um, we... To get back to my story for a little bit, when I uh, when I graduated the the one year program, now you know, as I said, gone from you know making six figures to making zero, and now I haven't been employed for a year. So, what do you put on your resume? Where have you been, you know, for a year, and uh, why are you in Bakersfield? So, I decided to be honest, and and it wasn't a real easy thing to do, but I figured. When I did find the person that would employ me, I would make them very proud of me. Indeed. And oddly enough, the mission was one of the first people to, to offer me a job. And at the time, I think minimum wage was $8. So I was making, I was making $8 an hour. I had no car because it had been impounded. Thankfully, my uh, ex-husband had gotten it out of impound for me but you know i didn't have the money to tag it or to get it running again or or anything like that so uh i have my little eight eight part-time eight dollar an hour job and i got on the bus and i started just applying for other jobs and i so i was able to get two more um minimum wage jobs and I had to take a bus and I hadn't taken a bus since I was probably 12 years old. But I, I, I said to myself, you're going to do this. You're, you, you are going to do it and you're going to do it right. You're going to humble yourself. Yeah. You're, you're going to start over uh, by golly, or you're going to die trying. And it wasn't easy, especially here where it gets to be like 110 in the summer and taking two buses you know, to my, one of my three part-time jobs, but I did do it. And, and the mission saw that. And they, they then started to believe that I was a good investment. So they finally felt kind of sorry for me. I think it offered me a full-time job. So I didn't have to have three part-time jobs anymore. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, yeah, fast forward, 
I think I had been with the mission about, I don't know, four years maybe. And uh, the women's program director had been let go and they saw in me, uh, not only was I dedicated to the mission, but also that, that I had something to offer to the women because I had been there. Definitely. And so um, they made me women's program director, I think after four or, or five years, which was kind of a big deal. Um, and I really embraced it. And I think we, we did great for a couple of years. And then um, we had this opportunity to do what we call in our business, a social enterprise. And I told the executive director, um, a lot of missions do thrift stores, but I said, you know, why don't we do something different and do an upscale resale? And so to, that's, that's what I do now. Um, it's a training program for men and women that makes money for the mission, but more importantly, they're learning customer service skills that they can take with them anywhere they go. And when I uh, speak to the news, if I'm doing a news story or something, I'll preface it by saying the skills that they learn here, you know, that whether they go to work in a bank or muffler shop, they've learned customer service skills that they can take with them anywhere. And so that's kind of where we are today. I still, even though I'm doing, a lot of people think of me as doing retail, really what we're doing is a training program for life skills. And at one point I was offered an opportunity to go back into advertising and marketing with the local iHeart radio group here. And, you know, I, I did, I went back, I thought, gosh, I can, I can make real money again. And I was there for three months and I hated it. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. You know, I wasn't 40 anymore. I wasn't in Hollywood anymore. I wasn't drinking anymore. And I just said, you know what? I just want to go back. I, 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 I want to, I want to be a part of that miracle that I see every day. Yeah. You know, I see heartbreak every day and boy, let me tell you, do I see heartbreak? You know, I, I see the people that, I, that have, you know, come to work for the mission and then overdose on heroin and die. You know, it's, it's really tough, but you do see the miracles and you get to see them firsthand. And sometimes you had a little bitty, you know, part in their miracle and there's just nothing, there's nothing like that. And, and that's why Zach does what he does too. You know, uh, he gives back to the dogs that, that helped him live. Yeah. I can't see a day where I'm not involved with people in recovery. I just, I can't see it. You know, it's too much a part of my life. That's why the show is so important to me is I get the opportunity to speak to amazing people that have fought the fight and mm -hmm. are winning. And I love that. But I also love to hear the story about how they, when they weren't winning in, in the hard work, and the dedication that they had to put in to get to a place to be on the show and, and share their story of what it's like in the sunshine now, but it's a bitch to get there. Uh, and we always have to continue fighting, but I love the fact Every single person who's been on the show has still in some way in recovery is always giving back in their own way. It is the most wonderful component. I started the show because I, and I say this and forgive me for the listeners that have heard this a million times, but I started the show to give back 
And I, I feel bad about it now sometimes because I feel like I get more out of the show than my listeners or my guests do. And I feel bad about that a little bit because um, it wasn't supposed to be that way, but I get so much out of it because I do get energized by the guests and I get empowered by the, by the notes that I get from people. And I love that. I mean, there is really nothing more magical when you get a, a, a text or a message from someone. And I'm sure that you, you would agree with this, that says just what you're doing is, you know, gave me the strength I needed to continue today or something right? like that. It, people, it is truly the most amazing thing in the world. The other part of this for me uh, in recovery is I'm, I'm good in my own skin. Finally, it took 47 right. fucking years to get here mm-hmm. and I'm really good in my own skin. And I feel like I'm giving my kids the choice to make their decisions on their own, not follow the path of dad, the coked up drunk guy in the garage, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's important because I'm not saying that they're not going to drink or whatever. They may do all of that, right. but, but I'm at least I'm, I'm trying to give them a different play. So I, to go back to what you're saying, I completely understand the pull and the desire and the love of being at the mission because it, mm-hmm. it's empowering and magical in, in its way at helping people. The difference I would imagine when they first get there to 90 days later has got to be substantial. I can't even mm-hmm. imagine because you get to see the progress. Um, and if mm-hmm. you look at those mile markers, it's got to be crazy, crazy good. It is. It really is. And um Sometimes I'll have the most difficult, and I primarily work with with women, but uh, you know that they will have been such a handful. And then you just, as you said, with the the markers, you see them after ninety days, and finally they're you know the fog is starting to lift a little bit, and and then after six months, and they're starting to be productive, and at nine months they're. You know, they're like a whole different person. And then by the time they graduate, so often they're better than they were before Oh yeah, their addiction was uh, out of control. Or, or, and in, in some cases, we have, you know, young folks that have never been adults that they weren't under the influence. And to see them just say, wow, there's a life out there that I didn't know existed. And maybe they move on, you know, many, many will stay connected to the mission and and they'll stay a part of the graduate uh, reunions that we have and things like that. But every once in a while, somebody, you would say, oh, golly, I wonder whatever happened to, and then bam, I'll get a a Facebook notice. I just wanted to let you know how, how much I appreciate how you helped me through that time. And I know I didn't tell you during that time how much I appreciated it because I didn't realize it. But now I'm married and I have two kids and I really don't think I could have done any of this if it hadn't have been for, you know, some of the influence that you had on my life and what, you know, the program did in my life. And for all of us, I think whether it's that that um, 12 step program or whether it's the Marley's Mutz program or uh, another 12 step program, those of us that do, you know, come out the, the other side, I, I think we're always going to feel that gratitude that we are obligated, you know, to do what we can to help the man that still suffers. <laughs> you said it perfectly. For the listeners, think about working with someone who is at 11 years old, forced mm-hmm. into sexual slavery or prostitution, and then live their life under that unbelievable torture 
and then come out as an addict and then finally be free of those things and have a new life and a new beginning because of what you're doing, Catherine, at, at the mission. I mean, that is God's work. I mean, that mm-hmm. is amazing. You, you have literally rewritten the script for a poor girl who mm-hmm. didn't have a fucking choice. Right. And you taught her not only how to make her own choices, but to continue down the right path. And that that's unbelievable because mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly, you know, I try to explain to my children that, you know, I hope they never have to know what a bad day really is um, because mm-hmm. they've never lived without food or without shelter right. or without comforts. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, right. I never take advantage of that. I used to be an asshole and materialistic about that stuff, but not anymore. Since I've gotten sober, I realized I don't really give a shit what anybody else has. I just want to have a loving, safe, peaceful home and the, the hell with the rest of it. But it the, the other side of this ugly thing with addiction is there's all different slices of life involved. And and what you're doing is is amazing. And, and I'm mm-hmm. so grateful that you came on the show. And quite frankly, I'm glad that you came back to the to the mission and got back out of all of that advertising stuff because the <laughs> hell with that shit right <laughs> mm-hmm. well you you realize what's what's important and um when, when you've had both lives you've you've had absolutely nothing and and i came from real humble uh roots you know my my parents in st louis were you know uh, working class folks we didn't have a lot and then I had a lot and then I had nothing. Um, so I do have that point of reference. And I think that, you know, that helps when people say, you know, why are you able to stay sober? And so-and-so wasn't, you know, someone that maybe was in the program with me. And I, I said, you know, it, that's a million dollar question. If I knew yeah. that, I'd write a book and I'd make so much money. <laughs> right. uh, Oprah, you'd be richer than Oprah at that point. I right, mean, that's, that's right. If, if we knew, it, you know, and I have normies, as, as I call them, ask me, you know, what, what do you think would take you out? If something were to take you out, what would it be? I say, you know, how do I know? I'm sure the guy that went out after 14 years had no idea, yeah. you know, that cough medicine was going to take him out. Or that, you know, that one glass of champagne that my girlfriend thought was going to be okay on New Year's, what the heck did one glass of champagne do? And, you know, within three weeks, she was drinking a bottle and a half of champagne a night. Right. Um, we don't know. It, it is. It's, it's, you can't explain it. You can't predict it. You can't, um, you can't you you cannot take addiction and and put it into any kind of category that that makes any kind of sense whatsoever because not at all. you know that's that's why it's cunning baffling and powerful because you can't explain it you can't and 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 in no two people is it alike in no two people is the solution alike um it just isn't it really isn't and, it- you never know what yeah. you're right. It, the, the first domino to fall, you have no idea what that'll be. It, 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 right. I've heard people say it was a song that triggered them. I've heard people say it was a smell that triggered them. I mean, it, there's a million things. There's no rhyme or reason. The main takeaway I think for the listeners here is you just have to do the work that you have to do your work. You have to do your work for recovery. Work and you have to be honest with yourself. Yeah. That, you know, if, if I were to, uh, put my finger on one thing that has c- 
contributed to me being able to stay sober. It was, I was, I had become such an ugly, habitual liar. I mean, lie to my son's face, swear on my mom's grave. You know, I swear I haven't been drinking. <laughs> but I, I, I said, if I'm going to do this and if I'm going to stay sober, I'm going to have to be honest. I'm going to have to be honest with myself and with everyone else. And I've really made that a priority in my life. If I don't have to lie about it, then I don't have to lie about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know no, I mean, I mean, lies have jagged edges. I mean, they, they really do. They will cut you deep, deeper yeah, than razor and, blades, that's for sure. And so by not lying about anything, I don't get in the habit of, you know, if I don't lie about the little things, I don't have to get in the habit of lying about the big things. And I don't have to remember my, you know, lies to cover my bad behavior. And, and sometimes it's tough because, you know, you do have to say, you know, this might hurt me, it might hurt them, but, you know, for my sobriety, I, I need to be honest. Yeah. And, but you um, can be, you know, there's a way to be graceful and honesty. I mean, yes. it doesn't have to be brutal honesty. I think that, no. so that's no. the thing too. Like you have to learn how to be gracefully honest. Cause I, I would agree. I mean, I, I did a lot of lying and covering up and hiding and backtracking and sharing parts of the story. What, you know, all the bullshit that we do. Mm -hmm. And when I get in clean, what's also refreshing is you put that weight down because you don't have to hide or lie or give people bullshit, but it took a long time to train myself not to build a narrative around what I was doing or how late I was up or where I've been and all that mm -hmm. crap. So right. it's, it, it gets, I'm not going to say easier, but it, you get accustomed. It's like learning a new habit and you just learn to be honest and you're not mm -hmm. hiding anything because there are sharp edges on lies and then for me too, I had the new routines were very important for to for me to get sober and to stay sober. I, I did a psychosomatic, excuse me, a somatic approach. Maybe psychosomatic is a good way to put it too, I suppose. But I but I I walked and I rode bikes and I boxed and I still do all those things and I and I read and I have a process and I I always find a reason to say yes. Uh, and what I mean by that is, and if if I can say yes without being disruptive to my work day or other things, I will say yes for my kids. Let's do this. Let's do that. I'll do my very best to do that kind of stuff. Because when I was using and drinking, it was always, no, I, I was always hung over or getting fucked up sure. and whatever. So, and, and I've embraced the, the, the forward motion of actively participating, not only in my life, but in my wife's life and my family's mm -hmm. life, my kids. And that's the other part of it. That, that also helps keep me sober because I enjoy life for life's sake, instead of looking at it from when I get to do my next bump of blow. <laughs> and, right. and when you're living for your children in that regard, instead of for the cocaine or for the next drink, it does okay. change things. And it gives you the power to, I, so sober momentum is another way to, that I like to put it, where you just continue the good path, but you can't, you got to be careful because little things like you said, can get in the way and fuck it up. So you have okay. to do the work. You can't take a break. You can't take a fucking day off in sobriety. And it doesn't right. have to suck. It doesn't have to suck, but you mm -hmm. can't, there are no days off in sobriety. You, you have to do the work. That's the main thing. Like there's no, and it's also, I, I don't mean to want a tangent here. Forgive me, Catherine, but the, that when people are like, so what's the magic pill? There is no fucking magic pill. There is no hack. Yeah. There is no shortcut. The thing is the first thing I always tell people, if you want to, you know, not be an addict or an alcoholic, well, stop using and stop drinking. That's step fucking number one. <laughs> and then the rest of it, it depends on the individual. 
you know, you have to go to detox, you have to go to recovery, so you have to go to a mission, whatever it might be, do that and fight the good fight. But you have to like love the process. You have to fall in love with the process of recovery and give up the outcome because you're doing it for the right reason, not the finish line. And that's the other part that I think is so critically important. And I, and I try to, I feel like I'm getting a little preachy here and I don't mean to be, but I say that because especially this time of year, the end of 2020, the holidays, this is a dangerous time for people. Right. And it's just this year, as you said, I mean, a pandemic for crying out loud Yeah. job loss and you know, friends, people are dying, literally, and, you know, if, if they're not dying of the, of the COVID, they're, they're dying because they've lost their business, they've lost their job, they've yeah. lost It's really friends. hard. Um, but, you know, as we know, that, you know, addiction doesn't make anything better. It and, does not. Uh, I, I know that sounds simple, too, but it's, you know, it's, it's so true. Um, it, and the, and the people that, uh, what I would say to your listeners, if anybody out there is a chronic relapser like I was and, until most recently, um, we get folks that, you know, they get six or nine months and they think I got this, I'm, I'm leaving. And then they fall flat on their face and then they sheepishly come back and say, you know, uh, I, you know, I feel so bad that that I'm back and I have to tell them, you know what? The shame would be, there's no shame in you coming back. The shame would be if you didn't come back. That's right. Because you've given up and it's never too late. It's never too late. You know, I got sober uh, at 60, which is pretty insane when you stop to think about it. Um, I mean, again most of the people that i deal with on a regular basis are between 20 and 40 there just aren't a lot of us that have, have taken that long to get sober you know but i'm a slow learner um and, and like i said i had to you know i had to hit a bottom that was uh uh just so low that i i had no alternative um and, I, and when I tried to commit suicide, I, I came pretty darn close. Not close enough, but but pretty darn close. Uh, and I don't ever want to do that again. And uh, life is just so much better than I ever thought it would be. I don't know if you experienced this, but I thought, gosh, wouldn't it just be great to be able to be sober? I had no idea the side benefits I never wake up with a hangover anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not puffy anymore. Yeah. People like me for me, not just because I go out drinking with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, I get to babysit. I mean, if I were still drinking like I drank, I wouldn't, Zach would no more let me be with his children or my other son with my grandson and so many more things. I don't worry anymore now when I see a police car behind me. And right. my <laughs> That's a big one. Um, yeah, the side benefits are just uh, great. And Absolutely. I, you know, for someone who loved drinking as much as I did and drank every night and then at the end of my drinking career, you know, I, I, when they put 
wine in milk cartons that just accelerated my you know because you could put it in your purse it didn't bang around you could put it under your pillow i mean you could just take it with you anywhere that you went uh which was <laughs> really problematic for me yeah it's you know they gotta rethink that shit yeah everywhere um but i was drinking around the clock i mean morning noon and night i just didn't think i'd ever be able to to break the cycle and once you experience that freedom, I, I really think that it would have to be akin to getting out of jail. That's the only thing I can think of For that sure. would even come close because you are in a prison when you're in your addiction. You are a prisoner to that drug or that drink, and it has total and complete control over you if, if you drank like I drank. Um, and to have that freedom now, there just really isn't, uh, you know, if, if I had to say what has kept me sober in addition to being honest with myself and um, being honest with others, it's just remembering what that hell was like, that getting up in the morning and, and shaking and vomiting and crying and and hoping that you could make it through the day um, without a, a drink. And then, you know, there towards the end, I couldn't make it a minute without a drink. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you know, I really had become a, a slave to it and, and to be able to have that freedom now, um, it's just wonderful. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, I can honestly say, God willing, I'll, I'll uh, celebrate nine years here in January. And I, I look back at night and I, and I almost, you know, I'll think every once in a while, was it really nine years ago? I didn't think I could go nine hours or nine minutes without a drink, let alone nine years. Yeah. Uh, but what a great, great nine years it's been and i i pray to god that i i never have to go back to that life because uh, i'm happy joyous and free <laughs> that's a perfect place to end so i'll ask one final question how sure. do people find you to learn more about the mission that you that you're at because i think it's important that people know sure. that there's resources out there yes it would be my pleasure uh, my mission email is c as in Catherine or cat i go by cat Last name S K O W at the mission KC.org. Or my personal email, I have a couple, Marley's Mutt's Mom at Gmail. Uh, and my old faithful, easy to remember, cscow at AOL.com. Is, is there a website for the mission, by the way? That you... There sure is. Uh, the mission KC, the mission at current, yeah, the mission KC.org. Perfect. Um, the mission in Kern County. Anyone that I can help. Uh, um, I, I'm in a relationship for the first time in a long time, and he's a, a normie. And at first, he was kind of like, you know, why are you getting phone calls at, you know, 1030 at night? Well, because that's what I do. Right. Um, and I swear if somebody sends me an email, and Zach is the same way, you have a question, you want to chat, you need help reach out. I'll be there. It's my pleasure. It's what we do.